Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Hello, everyone, and happy Wednesday. Welcome back. I just want to take a second to thank you so much for being um, with me on this journey and listening to this podcast. I so appreciate each and every one of you, and I love when people share their takeaways with me. I love when they share it on social media. It just makes my heart so, so happy. So if you want to share it on social media, um, the She Built This Instagram is at NH, And then, of course, you can find my website at SheBuiltThis.org. Today's guest, let's get right into it. So she is a professional organizer, and we're going to be talking about a couple things. Um, and it does bring up for me, after our conversation, it brought up a lot of um, memories of my childhood. And I actually, in this episode, you'll hear, I kind of work through a little bit of something that I had a hard time of letting go of, and she helps me figure out why that might be. So I have my own revelation in the episode, and that's a cliffhanger. But I got to thinking about how when I was a kid, I used to have a really messy room and I like that didn't happen. I mean, that, that went away very quickly. Once I became a college student, I was just insanely clean and tidy and everything had to be organized and neat. But when I was a kid, my room was always pretty messy unless I got like this surge of inspiration and organizational energy. And what I would do is I would take absolutely everything out, like out of every desk drawer, out of every drawer from under my bed, in my closet, every single thing had to be strewn out where I could see it. And then I would reorganize everything from top to bottom. And I know when my mom told me to clean my room, I would not do it frequently, but I would take a whole entire day and then like invite everyone into the museum of Emily's perfectly neat room where every single hanger was facing the right direction and the clothes were organized from black to white and the sock drawer was organized color by color. Um, I don't take, I don't have time to do that now, but I am looking when, when she and I had this conversation, I was like kind of looking through different areas of my home that I know do need some extra organization. So she's going to give us some of those tips and also just how it affects our productivity, how it affects how we feel in our home, and even a little bit of the psychology behind having an organized home. And like I said, there is something that she helped me work through that I didn't even know was why I had a certain thing. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce today's guest, Kathy Vines. Kathy Vines is a certified professional organizer, productivity specialist, certified coach, and the owner of Clever Girl Organizing, which is a company based in Melrose, Massachusetts. She launched Clever Girl in early 2013 after a 20-year career in human resources, which she tells us a little bit about. And she works with residential and small business clients to help them untangle their relationship to stuff and create the systems they need to conquer the chaos around them. She is author of Clever Girl's Guide to Living with Less, Break Free from Your Stuff Even When Your Head and Heart Get in the Way. 
Kathy has been featured in the Boston Globe, Better Homes and Gardens, Secrets of Getting Organized magazine, Real Simples Organize Your Home magazine, and appeared on Inside Edition. I'm super excited to have her today, very apropos at a time when we're all spending a little bit more time in our homes. And she also talks about how her business has been affected through the um, impact of the coronavirus. Hello, Kathy. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. How are you doing on this? Okay, so while we're recording this, it is March 24th, and it is technically spring. And I don't know about you, but we just got hit with like 18 inches of snow last night. Uh, yeah, you know, we uh, fortunately woke up this morning, and I think we have much less snow than we did yesterday. And but it was kind of a somber way to start week two of all of this going on and seeing, oh, okay, we really are staying inside and we're staying inside for other reasons today. Yeah, it kind of took social isolation and just amped it up a notch. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I imagine a lot of the people listening are kind of in the same boat and maybe they're stuck at home. And, you know, for me, like my home is my haven and it welcomes me in. Um, so we're going to get into that a little bit today. But first of all, I want to hear your story, how you got started and what, what you did before this. Sure. I got started in my business, Clever Girl Organizing, seven years ago, um, almost seven years ago in April, and that followed a 20-year career in human resources. I was somebody who grew up and even at a young age, probably in junior high school, knew that I wanted to get into HR and it had been the only thing I'd really thought of and had a went to undergrad, got a degree in psychology, got an MBA, and then worked at some amazing companies in HR. And I always had this dream of what my life would look like in a corporate world by the time I turned 40. And then something happened. I turned 40 and said, oh my gosh, I never really had a vision for what came after 40. Uh, so that plan wasn't really working out in terms of the longer term view. And I had had this idea in my mind of someday maybe being a professional organizer. I think it really tapped into a lot of the things I was doing as an HR person. I was coaching with managers around performance for their team. I was focusing on productivity and really trying to find different ways for people to maximize what they could do at their own office or their own desk. And I really had a sense for systems thinking and processes and relationships to space. And all of these things really came for me to say, what else can I do with this? And I'd learned about organizing probably back in 2003 or so. I don't know if anybody ever remembers that show, um, Clean Sweep, that was on TLC with Peter Walsh. I used to love that show. Yeah, it was, I, I just, I, I got hooked on that show really early and watch them all. And, you know, for those people who haven't seen it, Peter Walsh, who's like now a celebrity organizer, he did this show where they would come into a house that was really overwhelmed with clutter and chaos. And they would they would be fixing up two rooms in your house, right? That's really all they focused was two rooms. And the idea was clear everything out. Everything went out on the front lawn in three piles, keep, toss, or sell. Part of the show was that they would do a flea, a garage sale or yard sale. 
And then they would redesign the rooms with an idea for what do you really want this space to feel like, to be like, to do for you. And so much of that work was involving with letting go and letting go of the things that were filled in those rooms, the things that weren't serving you, the things that weren't making your life happy, the things that were robbing you of valuable real estate. And I would watch this show just realizing that this is this was how my brain worked. This is how my heart worked. This was already, even like at a young age, like in elementary school, I would go to a friend's house and look at things saying, why do you keep that over there? Wouldn't it be easier for you if you had that over here? I just had such a good sense of things like that. And I was discovering that there were people out there like me who did this and did it for money. This was crazy. This was a career. So this goes back, you know, to 2003 that this was on my mind. So um, seven years ago when I was um, getting laid off from my company and I was the HR person, so I was doing the layoff, so I knew it was coming. Um, I had the opportunity to think about, was I ready to go out on my own? Not only be an organizer, but you know, start a business. I tell people I'm not a professional organizer. I'm a small business owner who owns an organizing business, which is really different, right? So was I ready? Were we financially stable enough to take the risk? Would people even pay me for something like this? You know, I knew there was a need, but could I really turn this into something? And I'm thrilled to say I launched it in the first year and it's grown every single year and in lots of different ways. And I've never looked back. I love it. It's so needed. Um, I want to hear about stepping out and and about it being scary and how you did find that first client. Like, what was your what was your marketing, let's say, strategy back then? <laughs> so I I would say there were two things that were critical. Number one was. I was able to talk to people in my company. I worked at a large financial services company in Massachusetts, and I was—I had a really good network, and people knew me, and people were trying to understand. So, what are you going to do next? Because a lot of people were saying to me, "Well, you—you should go be the head of HR somewhere. You're totally qualified. Go do that." And I would have to have this conversation, like, "Well, actually, I think I'm going in a different direction." And everyone who knew me would say oh my God, that's amazing. That's you, right? This is so you. Of course you're doing this. But there was a lot of fear in that. And and honestly, a little bit of shame, if I can, you know, be honest about it. I felt like I had to apologize to people and explain to people, rationalize why I was making this choice. Why would I waste a 20-year career and do this thing that seemed so so much like a step back in a lot of ways, in ways that people couldn't necessarily empathize with if they were faced with the same decision. So I have to be honest that the first person who hired me and paid me and honestly hired me, I think I was out of, it was a week after my first day off uh, or my first day of fun employment, as I called it. Um, It was another HR colleague for my company. She was so supportive of me and she said, I think this is amazing. And I think I'm your target demographic. I know what you care about. I know who you can help. And I think I'm that person come work with me. And so that was really my first client was somebody who had been an HR colleague who was really supportive of me, but also understood that the kinds of people I wanted to work with were already people in my life. They were already people in my network. Yeah. I was going to say that is so awesome. And it's, you know, I see a lot of people that want to go start businesses and it is, it's, they always say it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I think that's so, it's not entirely who you know, but that helps you to get on that bicycle already pedaling rather than at the bottom of a hill having to pedal up. Yeah, yeah. So 
Um, so I love that. Uh, I do need to ask what some of the productivity, I guess, like hangups you saw maybe in that office environment that helped you. I mean, those things that you would see people making mistakes in would help you probably market to that ideal client. Oh, okay, sorry. So when I was in my HR setting, I would see a lot of different things. So sometimes it was space and how people were using their offices or their cubes and things like that. And that led to clutter and chaos and I can't find my things and my boss needs that report and I can't find it. Like that's kind of a level one issue. But I think the productivity side really comes from time management, goal setting, and prioritization. Like those were the three areas I got involved most with in terms of my internal clients in HR to help them navigate through what was coming their way. And especially with managers who were struggling with how to motivate or manage their team who had different styles when it came to things like this. So I remember really well working with somebody in the technology team and they were really frustrated with somebody on their team who did great work, but took forever. They were a real researcher. They were a deep researcher and, you know, and probably I've spent a lot of time learning about adults with ADHD. Probably that's a te- that was probably a hallmark of some ADHD um, representation for him. A real researcher didn't want to put anything forward until he felt perfect about it, right? That idea of perfection coming in. And so understanding how do I help that person be successful in a setting where he's not really in control of his own time. There are deadlines and there are dependencies and there's a whole team waiting for his work, but also working with his manager to help him understand how do we set up a structure that lets that person do his best work and feel supported And you also get what you need as a manager. So those are the ways that I would see productivity challenges really come to life in a day-to-day activity within the workplace. Just one example. Yeah, I could see that. Um, So what are some of the tips, I guess, that you have, especially right now where so many of us are working at home? And, you know, I'm used to working at home, but there's a lot of people that this is a big adjustment for them and they find themselves not being as productive. So what are some tips that you have for those folks and and entrepreneurs that don't feel as productive at home? Even when I started, listen, I love productivity. I'm really committed to it, but I really struggled, especially my first whole year with the idea that I didn't have structure, that every day was going to be different, whether I was working with a client or not working with a client, that I, as an entrepreneur, was in charge of what happened next. I was used to having a boss tell me what was uh, you know, what was on my plate. Now I had to set my own agenda and manage my time to it. So even as a productivity person and an organizing person, I personally struggle. So I feel this a lot. I am hearing from a lot of people and talking with a lot of people who are right now working from home when they don't normally do that. They don't like to do that. They don't have an ideal setup at home in terms of their space or there are other people in their house right now. They can't just go to a library or a coffee shop. Those are closed down. So they're trying to make the most with what's directly around them. And I think there are a few things that I'm talking to people about right now. The first is their space. So lots of people don't have an office ready to go, just all set up with everything that they love in it. So how do you find space in your home that's going to work for you? It might be in a closet. It might be in a spare room. It might be half your basement. I don't know where it is, but it's got to work environmentally for your needs, right? It's got to be 
quiet if you need quiet or have ambient noise if that's what you need. It's got to have good lighting. Um, it's got to have a good workspace where you can spread things out if that's your style. Um, it has to have good internet connect connectivity if that's what you need to run your business and sell service if you need to be on the phone. There are real basics you need to have in place. And what's not important is I need to have matching uh, desktop organizers that look great for my collections of pens and highlighters, right? You don't need all that right now. What you need is you're kind of in uh, a little bit of a basic mode right now to get things done. And spending time trying to make an environment perfect for an ideal setting is going to get in your way of really finding what you need. It's funny that you say that because there is actually a pencil organizer that matches my walls in my Amazon cart right now, but I haven't bought it. <laughs> right. It's it's not going to bring you it's not going to bring you anything you don't already need or have. Right. Um, if if the goal is I need to have a couple of pens at my fingertips, I promise you there's a coffee mug that you haven't used for coffee in five years sitting in your cupboard that is super excited to have a new reason reason, reason for being. So I would imagine that a lot of times prior to this, you're spending your time in people's homes and working with them. So how has this situation that we're all facing globally affected you and working with your clients and your business overall? Thank you for asking. Um, I can tell you, so first of all, I'm a member of this professional association called NAPO, the National Association for Productivity and Organizing Professionals. We have over 3,000 members in the country, and that doesn't even include the organizers who aren't in NAPO, right? And the hot conversation in our internal forums right now is who who is ready to do virtual organizing? And I am really lucky. I've been doing virtual organizing for five years, which means... I've got a methodology, I know how to connect with clients, I've got the technology, uh, and I'm able to work with clients when they're sitting in their home or their home off their office, and I'm sitting in mine, and we can connect virtually. Now, that's about 20% of my organizing business. The rest, of course, is in-person organizing. And that's all going away. But some of them have said, you know, can we at least check in one hour a week? Can You know, I'm offering to them different ways I can work with them virtually to help them stay on their goals, right? I've been working with some of these clients for years. And this is a stressful time. And I don't want them to slide on their goals. I want them to continue to make prog progress. But that means I get to work with them in a different way that's much more, more of a coaching way and talking with them about strategizing, about how to set up some, some boundaries at home, how to make progress on goals on a daily basis to help them stay forward on that. So I can't be in their house and help them clear out their spare room, but I, I can help them with a video tour inside that spare room and say, let's make some decisions together. What do you think we need to do? What would, oh, you're really struggling with what to do with that one thing over there? Let's talk about it. What are the pluses and minuses? What else can you do with it right now? So it's a little bit of talk coaching and talk organizing where, you know, I call it um, my expertise and their elbow grease. They're doing the work, but they get a thought partner and they get accountability partner with me to work virtually to help them at least move forward a little bit. And I imagine that, you know, being cooped up in their house, people are going to see a need for this even more because some people are experiencing more downtime and they're like, okay, now is my time to organize all of those closets that I put off and all of those rooms I put off. So you might actually see like a big uptick in that. 
I think so. And I think, I think there are two groups of people right now. There are people who do see a lot more time and they're saying maybe this is a, you know, no time like the present. I don't know when I'm going to have this time again to make some things happen around here that I've been saying for a long time I want to get to. And then there are the people who definitely don't have a lot more free time. They're working from home. They're trying to keep their kids organized for school. They might be trying to help connect with parents at a distance. They actually don't have a lot of time, but they have a greater need. So they have to find opportunities to spend small amounts of time to make a big impact on their space. Is their fridge and their pantry in good order? Do they know what kind of food do they have on hand? Do they have workspaces for everybody? Is the place just getting so overwhelmed with clutter that it's really impacting everybody's um, everybody's morale and everybody's you know desire to be motivated at all? So there's some people who are really much more pressed for time who actually need the infusions of organizing even more. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And even with kids and homeschooling, like I know that when I was a kid, I homeschooled and for a while. And if we had like stacks of books and papers in my work zone, I was just like unmotivated and it was harder to get work done, you know, but if my space was clean, then I was able to do a lot more. So that's a really, really good point on that. You know, and one of the things I would say is, you know, in, in broader times and in, in simpler times, I would talk to parents a lot about their their kids' toys, toys and games and dolls, and they have so much. And the idea about rotating toys, removing things from your space actually helps them focus on things they love even more. Your kids are not going to lack from imagination if you got rid of or at least put away half their stuff. And the idea is that kids can focus better and enjoy more when there is less to deal with in their in their physical space, in their visual plane. And I think the same thing is going to happen right now with homeschooling. You don't necessarily want to say, hey, daughter, here's 20 worksheets. Pick what works for you. Simpler and, um, and a more limited set is actually going to help them focus more. So I feel like the same principles we would talk about helping your kid focus and, and enjoy play is going to be the same thing about helping them focus on schoolwork. That's why schools, they, that works. They do math first, and then they go to spelling, and then they go to reading. Like, they do it simpler instead of saying, here's a big pile. See you in eight hours. Yeah, yeah. I mean, same for adults, you know? Like, when think about task switching and focusing on one thing. It, every single time you switch tasks, it creates like a lack of focus. So if you can turn everything off, tune in for an hour, like you said, you said turn on music if that works for you. I like um, those binaural beats, which is just like music, no words, and it's just like soothing for your brain. And focus in on something and it, you'll be far more productive than if you're hopping around, you know, or looking Absolutely. at everything bird's eye view. Yeah. And I think there are a couple of techniques, right? The one technique that's well known is called the Pomodoro technique, where you focus without distraction for 25 minutes and then take a five minute break and then reset. And you do multiple cycles of this. After three cycles or four cycles, you can actually take a longer break. And this is basically training your brain to say, we're going to focus, but it's not all a prison, prison statement, a prison sentence. You're going to get a break, buy a break, fresh air break, whatever that is. Um, so I think for a lot of people that can help them get into the mode of saying, I need to put some structure around my focus. I know for me, one of the things I do, if I'm going to write a podcast or if I'm going to do something that really needs me to spend an investment of time, I have a, um, 
the four seasons Vivaldi's four seasons uh, that that whole CD or digital recording for me is about 45 minutes. And I say, you know what, I'm going to work for as long as this album lasts. I know how long it lasts. I know that I can invest that 45 minutes. It's pleasing enough music in the background, but it's not distracting that it's going to grab my attention. I think that's that middle ground between fine music that can help occupy part of your brain, but not so much of it that it steals the attention that you want from the important task you're focusing on and have that going and kind of know what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. Pomodoro method is one I recommend a lot. And then also just time blocking in general, because I think looking at a long to-do list isn't going to get you anywhere. But when you block times out for each of those items, then that's where you start to make progress. Uh, um, All right. I want to know how organized your house is. My So my house is very organized. And I'll tell you a couple of reasons why that's an easy thing for me to say. Uh, Number one, my husband and I uh, have no kids, we have no pets, and we live in a four-bedroom home with a garage, right? We have plenty of room, we have zones, things are set up, so we're not on top of each other. Number two, more importantly, my husband and I are kind of on the same page, like 95% on the same page when it comes to what we keep, what's important to us, where we keep it, how we keep it. And we're both pretty, we both really like order from that sense. Um, I, I, but I think we are, I say we're on the same page about 95% because we like order a little bit differently and for different reasons. I know it's important for me because I, I will habitually lose things. If something isn't put in its place, it may be, may as well be gone forever. Like I'm, I can lose track of things really easily. So I need order and structure that says, this is where this goes. And I know next time that's where I'm going to find it. My husband is a little different. He really likes clear surfaces. That's his big goal, which means he'll put things away anywhere just to get a clear surface. Um, so after like the, we moved into this new house and, and after the third time of him asking me, have I seen the barbecue tools? I said, no, you keep putting them away because you don't like them where they are, but I don't know where you keep putting them away. You got to figure out, we got to figure out a plan so I can help you. So he'll put things away, just shove them somewhere, which doesn't help me, but he gets his clean surface. I don't mind a pile if it's a, if it's a purposeful pile. It's, it's orderly. I know exactly what's in it and I'm dealing with it. So those are the ways in which we're different. And I think it's a little bit of an overlap there. That is so fun. Oh my gosh. The psychology of this must be fascinating. So my, uh, we are both neat freaks too. And like a little bit probably obsessive compulsive about it. I would say that we have like, um, like I don't really like piles of things that just drives me bonkers. You know what I mean? But if my Mm -hmm. husband doesn't have time to put everything away, he'll just like put it in a nice pile. (laughs) So, but those are the things like I, I'm probably more like your husband where I like, I would prefer a neat, clean surface over things, um, over things being necessarily put away. You know what I mean? Or sorry, being not organized. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that part of my husband and I being on the same page about what's important for us to keep or let go of, I think is at the core of why it works because we don't have, we aren't in conflict around, well, should we keep this? Should we make room for these things that one of us deems important and the other one doesn't? Now I'm definitely in charge of things like 
kitchen items or bath supplies, you know, things that are probably my domain. And he's got things that are really his domain. And we really kind of stay out of each other and let each other be in charge of our own domains, um, recognizing those domains really serve the whole household one way or another. Um, but there's a lot of things like community stuff, which is say, you know, is this still important to both of us? No. Okay. Then why are we keeping it? Let it go. Yeah. One of my favorite times every week is like, all right, what are we getting rid of this week? (laughs) Um, all right. So what do you think in most people's homes is one of the more overlooked rooms? You know, I think it can vary, but I'll tell you, um, one of the one of the projects that I get pulled into with clients to work pretty often, 30 to 40% of my clients, is any place where paper gathers. So whether that's your home office or your kitchen or a space where people have just kind of put paper for a long time and said, I'll deal with it later, eventually gets to a point of can be really chaotic or even crisis if you find yourself saying, oh my God, I have to do my taxes and I can't find anything or I can't find everything. Or, um, you know, we have to go and I can't find where we put, where we put those passports and we're, we're booking our trips, travel, things like that. So I find that places where paper gather, people just like to shut the door and pretend it doesn't exist anymore. Um, and And I think a lot of that is uh, people putting off decisions or just saying, I can't face it. And often it's also, I just don't know what to do with it. So I'm just going to ignore it for now. I think that confusion of, I don't know what to do with something can cause these places that, that really do get neglected. All right. I have one for you. So I'm actually, I'm pretty good. I have like my little file folders for all my papers in my office, but I do have this secret (laughs) Um, in my basement. I have this thing, like it literally has papers from when I was in high school and college, like every single essay I wrote in college is in that box. And I don't know why, but I just can't get rid of it. And I, I want to hear your thoughts on that. So, uh, you know, I think the most important words you just said is, I don't know why, right? And that's when I work with people and I really try, you know, I tell people I like to help help them untangle their relationship with their stuff because often it comes with this initial barrier of, well, I can't let it go because of this or because of that, these reasons. Uh, and, and I try and say, okay, well, what's underneath that? And I, with all my clients, I'd say, so what do you mean when you say you don't know why? What do you think is behind your attachment to owning these? What is it that you think those papers represent for you right now in your life? Ooh, I love that. And I already know the answer. It's because, well, I got good grades in college and I would like to hold on to that um, accomplishment. You know what I mean? So and you think that if you were to let go of those papers, you wouldn't still have the accomplishment of receiving good grades? No, that's what I'm saying. This is a really good exercise, uh, <laughs> which means we're going to have a way bigger trip to the uh, recycling center this weekend. <laughs> you know, and I think um, I, I had done this. I had, I had a client who I loved working with, and she was she was really attached to this one paper, and it was a really big paper, and, uh, you know, like a, a graduate-level term paper, this big thing. And she was she was really trying to minimize her space. She had been res- restricted for some reasons in her life. And uh, she said, you know, 
she gotten rid of all the other papers from that one professor and just kept that one. And then we talked about it. I said, so why is that important? And she said, well, because of these notes he wrote on the first page. And then she said, wait a minute, I don't need to keep the whole paper. If I care about the notes on this first page, I can rip out this one page of notes and still hold on to it. And, you know, it was a way for her to kind of look at the space that some of this stuff takes up in your life and boil it down to, so what was critical about this? And did I sacrifice that critical point by letting go of the rest of it? Probably not. I love that. And and I know we we don't have a lot of time to go into it today, but just like with the principles of Feng Shui, like getting rid of stuff and letting go of things makes room for new, exciting opportunities and new, exciting A's, which are even better now that you know, we're grown adults. (laughs) No, you're absolutely right. And I think that I, listen, I work with people around items of their past all the time, whether it's their old papers or books they used to read that they haven't read in a long time or parts of their wardrobe that were related to when they used to have an, uh, you know, an executive job or the tennis that racket from when they used to play tennis. There's so much that we hold on to that's tied up with our identity of who we think made us who we are today, that we feel that connection, that bond to that thing without really recognizing that, you know, you don't have to still own the tennis racket to still recognize that you should play tennis. And for some people, it's more complex because they say, well, I didn't want to give up tennis. I didn't want to, I liked that job where I had to wear a suit. I don't want to give up those things that remind me that maybe my life was better or healthier or more enjoyable back then. So it really can be tangled when you start to unpeel some of these layers about why some of the things we hold on to that aren't a part of our life today can be so sticky. Wow. So you're like part therapist and part organizer. <laughs> I'm definitely not a trained therapist, but no, I'm no. so grateful for my psychology degree and my coaching certification and so many things that really allowed me to communicate with people. I really, I do think that so much of the work I do with my organizing clients is like 90% coaching and 10% understanding space and systems and strategy. Yeah, it sounds it. Um, All right. So two more, well, one more question for you, and then I'll kind of help you guide people to where they can find you and and learn more about you. But I want to know what your favorite show is now in the home organizing or like home redecorating um, realm. Oh my gosh. Uh, You know what? I, (laughs) I'm going to tell you, it's not a show, um, but if you like, looking at, uh, you know, excuse the, excuse the phrase, but I'll call it organizing porn, right? If you like looking at gorgeous before and afters, um, the, my friend on Instagram, Jamie Horde, who runs a company called Horderly, H-O-R-D-E-R-L-Y, always does gorgeous stories on Instagram of the clients she's, she's working with. She's based in New York. Um, it's not strategy, it's not technique, but it's a great way to see how people are transforming their spaces and how they're hiring people who have professional skills who can help them do that. I will tell you that, um, you know, a year, it's, I think it's a year ago, when um, the Marie Kondo show on Netflix came out. One of the things that I liked about the show was that it showed real people, not just hoarders, getting help from a professional and recognizing that 
sometimes you're overwhelmed and you need somebody else to start. I think it showed realistic time frames. It wasn't a half hour flip show. They'd come back in six weeks and they're still working on it. It showed real people struggling with real issues and not just hoarders. And I feel like that's what a lot of people think organizers are and what organizer who organizers work with are hoarders. And so many people So many of us just work with normal people who are situationally disorganized or chronically disorganized or just want to feel better about their home and their processes, and they ask for help. Yeah, I love that show too. And I love asking myself that question, like, you know, not just in my home, but when it comes to all things. Like, does this bring me joy? Because if not, got to throw it out. Um, All right. So tell us how you said you had a podcast. So make sure you let us know about that and then how people can find you and connect with you online. Yeah, no, I don't actually run my own podcast as much as I do. I do virtual organizing. So that's one on one work with people. Oh, sorry. Um, I I thought you said you were writing a podcast episode. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. When I'm when I'm preparing for podcasts or when when I'm writing blog posts and things like that, Uh, when I'm working on my books. So I have, my first book came out a couple of years ago. That's Clever Girl's Guide to Living with Less. Break free from your stuff, even when your head and heart get in the way. So um, that's my book. It's available on on Amazon, also in Kindle version, if you're not getting uh, deliveries right now. And my, you can find me all over social media at Clever Girl Organizing on Instagram and Facebook, and then I'm clevergirl.org over on Twitter. I've been doing right now a campaign for the last uh, week and a half or so called hashtag Nisolation, N-I-C-E-O-L-A-T-I-O-N, with um, organizing productivity and just nice ideas on how we can use our inside time better during this um, social distancing period. And I, this idea of working with people virtually, I love the idea of connecting with a broader audience. Um, I do an organizing challenge every year. This is my seventh year I've done it, where people work with me inside a Facebook challenge. Um, we just finished this past week, um, but I'm thinking about running up another one uh, starting soon. And so hopefully I'll be able to connect, come to people in their living rooms, in their bedrooms, uh, through the screen, whether it's through virtual organizing or through an organized Clever Girl organizing challenge and helping people more than just outside my area in Massachusetts. Oh my gosh. So cool. It sounds like you have so much good stuff. I'm going to make sure I share that um, hashtag in the um, show notes and also your book. So wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for joining me. I learned a lot and I think that everybody listening is going to also. I hope so. Thank you so much for uh, bringing me on and, and helping me get the word out on how we can help other people get a little bit more organized during this crazy time. Thank you, Kathy. To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.